Okay, what's going on, guys? And welcome to a brand new episode of Energize. Today, we have a very special guest on the show. We have journalist, author, and a Liga expert, Guillaume Balagay. Guillaume, how are you doing? Hello. All right. All right. How are you both doing? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm healthy, happy. Can't complain. What about you, Barry? Yeah, just just staying as active as you can, and then uh, getting some great guests on the show like yourself. The idea is to, uh, yeah, I think we, we all got it now, have a little bit of routine, mm. a little bit of exercise, and uh, make sure that yeah, you activate your mind. Because the thing, uh, I've just read this morning, that the first thing that, um, that shoots down is your brain. Uh, yeah. By repeating the same things, your brain starts going into a hibernation. And then everything started to be very, very difficult to actually come back to normal if you let your brain to hibernate. So don't do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. Uh, it's very important to stay active, both you know, mentally and physically. Um, obviously, Spain's having a rough time at the moment. Yeah, how how are you getting on there, and what's your like? Yeah, we're okay. Uh, our family, uh, my my partner, myself here, who uh, I've spent twenty five days now in in this apartment in Palamos. This is the Costa Brava. It's about um, about an hour and a half from Barcelona, north of Barcelona. We are fine. This area. It's, uh, it's not a resort area, but it multiplies with the people that come in the summer. So uh, as they haven't been coming, the, everybody's stayed home. This is a uh, not very dense part of the world, uh, which means that uh, there hasn't been any problem with supplies. Hospitals haven't been uh, reached the, uh, the, the top level. Mm. And also there hasn't been many, many cases, I, I must say. But, uh, but, you know, we have to be alerted. And uh, our president said yesterday that even though we're supposed to the 26th of April, or he's supposed to come back on mm. the 26th of April to, to tell us what to do. The uh, warning is that it, the um, uh, self-isolation will continue. So just take it day by day. Uh, we cannot, whatever we cannot control, we just don't worry about. And, uh, and just, yeah, as, you, as we were saying, deal with the day today as it comes. Yeah. Have you been doing much work there, Guillaume? Yeah, I haven't stopped. I haven't <clears> stopped. There's a whole month of no day offs. In fact, today, after I talked to you, doing that one thing about the club, and then, uh, because for United, that is, uh, that I'm chairman of. And then I'm going to try to take the afternoon uh, free means reading for the book that I'm writing. But at least it's just reading. But it has been a, I've had to restructure work a little bit because La Liga TV, obviously, uh, we're not doing games. Mm. But there were uh, some, some stuff that we had half prepared. Uh, I've got a show in La Liga TV called Talking Football in which I've spoken to Iniesta, to Xavi, we went to Qatar, we went with Rafa Benitez and uh, Mista, who was a strike mm. at Valencia, we talked about Valencia yeah. time, I was with Joaquin and Gordillo, Betis. We had to put all that together, do some voiceovers. Then my papers uh, has gone into, um, how do you call it, forlow. Uh, basically, they mm. pay half, but they expect the same. So uh, I still call the sport the paper, so I'm doing work for them. Uh, as I said, preparing stuff for the uh, for the book. The the club also has had. We were uh, in the middle of our restructuring, so we had had to put some calls on that as well. And BBC, we're doing now the um, Euroleaks podcast show and radio show on Sundays. So that's also keeping me keeping me busy. Plus, <laughs> those are listening as well. When when you see when you see that there is uh, all the opportunities out there, all the things that you can do with what you can offer then you, you try to take advantage so Rakuten which is a platform like Netflix is or, or others they've uh, they contacted me to do a, an interview show uh, 
and you know we're talking about it so it's all possible let's go that's brilliant um obviously someone who was you know immediately affected by COVID-19 was Pep Guardiola uh have you reached out to him and you know how he's getting on yes as you all know uh, his mom passed away uh, she was she was quite weak uh, already at but uh, nobody expected it to happen uh, as quick as this. He was in her 80s. I think she was 82. And uh, I cannot imagine, I don't want to imagine what it means to say somebody, to somebody like that uh, goodbye without being able to be there. But, um, yeah, because obviously uh, you, you helped with book, didn't you? Yes, they, 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 his family were always very um, generous with the time, especially the parents, uh, especially his dad. Valentin likes to talk. And likes to talk about his son, and likes to talk about you know his, the the past together, etc. Yeah. Mom was always in the background a little bit, but um, she was a she was a weaver in a, in a factory locally uh, until it all crashed in the seventies, uh, and after that, Pep Guardiola uh, never looked after them from that point of view. His dad was a bricklayer until very late. He built his own the the house where they where they live and. Uh, and they just, uh, when the fame of Pep Guardiola started, they, um, they just let him obviously be. They didn't want any protagonism of any kind. There were, there, there were decision, decisive moments in their lives that had to do with his mom, of course, like when Barcelona first approached the family to take him to Barcelona, where he lived in San Pedro. It was about an hour long. It doesn't seem long now, but it was a long trip in the bus, perhaps even longer which meant they had to leave their 12-year-old go to Barcelona um, to train there and perhaps even stay there. So she said no uh, at the beginning. He wasn't prepared. Uh, he, was, uh, he did a trial and was extra nervous, as he always gets, and couldn't sleep. And this is a 12-year-old Pep Guardiola, as you can imagine, <laughs> uh, as, as, you know, perhaps with a bit more hair, but as excitable as, as he is now. Mm. Mom said no. And, uh, and then when they came back a second time, before they did, Pep Guardiola said, if they don't come back, Barcelona doesn't come back, I won't be a footballer. And uh, they did come back. Parents are down. Mom said, yeah, he's ready now. And uh, they let him go. Uh, and it was difficult for him to be at 12, 13 away from his family. They traveled every week. But uh, after that, he just became his own man, obviously. Uh, uh, family was always there, available whenever, whenever it was the time. And he liked going back to San Pedro and see them. This football world takes so much of you. You're hardly able to do that, but when he did, he enjoyed, you know, the, the his parents, especially his mom, brought him down to earth. You know, he was not Pep Guardiola anymore; he was Giuseppe. <laughs> Sorry. Does, did uh, did he live in La Masia as well? Yeah, he spent time in, in La Masia, and also talks about that period as as a difficult period because of that, because he had to make his own friends. They all got through it. Uh, perhaps the most graphic of those uh, there are many, many cases, but both. Um, uh, Iniesta and Messi struggled in there for different reasons. Messi never lived in La Masia, but had an apartment on his own once he decided to stay in Barcelona. Yeah. When he decided to do so, his family, mom, sister, two brothers, went to Argentina. He was staying in a flat with his, with his dad. That was hard for a while. And Iniesta as well, as a 12-year-old, he really, really struggled. Uh, and Pep did too, for a bit. Uh, but uh, he's, you know, he's an independent man, uh, strong man, and, uh, and eventually just, you know, Got to the hang of it. Are you are you from Barcelona yourself, Kim? Yes, uh, I was born in the northern part of Barcelona, a district called Horta, which used to be 
a, a holiday place for the rich people of Barcelona. And now it was just a district that you can walk almost from, from town in 25 minutes. But it used to be that. Uh, that's where my parents, emigrants, both of them, my mom from Andalucía, south of Spain, and my dad from the south of Catalonia, traveled in the 1819 to Barcelona to look for work, uh, settled there, and married very young. Uh, and yeah, we based ourselves there for 20-odd years in, 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 in Orta. And then at 23, I, I moved to England. Yeah, and then um, is, is that how you first fell in love with football as well? Was that from support Barcelona? No, I'm an Espanol fan. And uh, I, well, actually, the, the truth is I was, a, I was a Barcelona fan as I was a, as a kid because everybody is. So, you know, even though my dad was an Espanol fan, I, uh, as a kid, I would just be a Barcelona fan. And then there was a friendly in the 70s uh, where Espanol beat Barcelona 5-1. So my conclusion was Espanol is a better team. So I became an Espanol fan from that point on. And even though we've been in the second division twice since, I never, I never felt sorry for that decision. Uh, because defeats show you more about life than constant victories. So I think I learned more about life being an Espanol fan than, uh, and, 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 you know, helped me with, with than being a Barcelona fan. Yeah, being and Manchester United fan, I know exactly where you're coming from right now as well. But yeah. uh, how did you get into sports journalism as well, again? Because uh, when people, like especially over here in Ireland and the UK, when they think of La Liga, they just think of your face. It was a, a little bit of luck. I, I, I fell out of love with football uh, when Espanol lost the UEFA Cup final in 1988. I think it was uh, against Bayer Leverkusen. Sure. Because if I tell you the story, I mean... It, was, uh, it used to be a return leg, so we played the first leg. Having beaten AC Milan of Baresi and Maldini and all those, well. having beaten Inter as well on the way to the final, we played by Leverkusen, and we beat them 3-0 in the first leg. So, done deal, isn't it? Yeah. Plus, when we arrived to Leverkusen, uh, there was... Uh, they, they don't have season ticket holders, proper season ticket holders. What they are are people that work in the buyer factory and they get given a ticket to go to the game. So they, we felt that there wasn't so much passion about it. So we deserved it morally, ethically. And of course, we had gone 3-0 in the first leg. Yeah. And, uh, and then it was 0-0 at halftime in the second leg. And then we considered three goals. And having left, Clemente was our manager, former national manager as well later on. He had left our two best players, Lauritsen, Danish, and uh, Valverde, who was then the manager of Barcelona recently, yeah. out of the squad altogether. We don't know why, mystery, uh, but we had nothing to bring from the bench. So I went to penalties and uh, were not were lost. So I, for like four or five years, I'd never wanted to watch football. I didn't want anything to do with football. I went to England at the time, not interested. Well, in fact, I thought, which team actually wins here? Because I'm fed up with losing. And uh, it was Liverpool at the time, in 91, when I first arrived to, to England. And then they stopped winning as well. Uh, so that was um, a period... Of the <laughs> yeah, well, it was, a, it was a, I thought, this is not right. But anyway, it got to 96, Euro 96. And I had done all kinds of jobs, you know, distributing bread and working in a pub and writing about all kinds of things, nothing to do with football. And I started working for a magazine called Don Ballon. And which is now the label was bought by a click biting company and it's rubbish now. <laughs> it's not them, but it used to be a very prestigious magazine. 
and became their UK correspondent. And in 96 in the Euros, I covered that. Uh, and then at 96, Sky started doing Spanish football. They did it for a year with uh, Rob Palmer and Jerry Armstrong from Manchester, from the Granada Studios. And I rang them. I said, look, I'm a Spanish journalist. I want to write about what you're doing. Uh, and the producer, Dave Lawrence, invited me to go to the studios. Uh, that was 97, October 97 or so, the season had started. And uh, he said, you know, come smartly. And I was going to do that. But I didn't have smartly clothes. I was, I was uh, you know, I, I wasn't very, I didn't have much money. So I uh, had a much longer beard, big glasses, long hair to here. Uh, there's a picture somewhere with that. And, uh, <laughs> I'll have to look that up. Yeah, some, I think it's in my webpage. Somebody put it there. And uh, I asked a friend of mine who always looked very smart with his clothes, can I have a jacket? Forgot, forgetting that he was 20 stone. And uh, I wasn't. <laughs> so it looked really big on me. But anyway, I look a little bit smart. And I got to Sky and uh, uh, right show is about to start. Uh, and you go, you sit there next to the presenter. I said, what do you mean? You're the guest of the show today. All right. Um, have you done this before? Hundreds of times. Okay. <laughs> it, was my, it was my debut, of course. Yeah. And uh, so they, you know, sat there. And then at halftime, Dave said, look, we're we thinking of doing a highlight show. Do you want to do it? And I thought about it for about a quarter of a second. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. They had asked about three other journalists. They, they had said no. For different reasons so you know if one of them yes perhaps my life would have been different but uh, i smelled the opportunity and, and then the rest is history because i started doing there used to be two hour shows with um, david bobbin which you probably don't remember him but uh, he was the first presenter of spanish football with me and eventually we created a show called uh, revista de la liga the rest is history that's that's great for people tuning in right now to be like right when you get in the, when you get an opportunity take with both hands and only think about it for a quarter of a second. Yeah. It goes like this. Do you want to do it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I'll do it. Why yeah, do it hundreds of times. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've done the show. Yeah, I've done television very often. Suddenly, uh, I did tell Dave much later on, you knew you were taking a chance with somebody who hadn't done this before. And it's like, you know, I've done television for 30 years. I knew you had, didn't have any clue. But uh, they like the attitude. So... Um, yeah, exactly as you say. You 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 take advantage of situations like this, of course. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, we we should definitely get into La Liga because obviously things are on hold right now, and uh, Barcelona win the league by two points ahead of Real Madrid. Um, what's what's your sort of making of the La Liga season this year? Because it seems like Real Madrid and Barcelona have both been getting a bit of backlash, like across across from from fans and uh, media alike. Yeah, because they were used to, uh, perhaps, uh, many people got used to the fact that they, they're so superior, uh, and there was a time that they were well ahead. That was misconstructed and misanalyzed in, more in, in the UK than in Ireland, because people thought, see, it's a rubbish league. And it wasn't. It was just like, imagine a league that had this season's Liverpool, but twice. Of yeah. course, they were going to be better than anybody else. This is the, the era of... Um, of Pep Guardiola, Jose Mourinho, uh, and then of course later on with, with Luis Enrique, they, they, they were well ahead of the rest. When you had a from three of Neymar, Luis Suarez and Messi, it's impossible to compete almost. Yeah. But what has happened is that both Barcelona and Real Madrid are in different times of their uh, recycling 
uh, a process that seems to me more intelligently done by Real Madrid than Barcelona. Barcelona, they've, um, they've focused all their uh, energies and money into keeping the old guard. And now they realize that the old guard needs replacing, most of them, and they don't know who to replace them with because the, uh, the facility to maneuver finances, in fact, the, uh, the crisis will really affect them. They were the first ones to ask the uh, players to reduce the wages, and that's a sign that they needed, they needed cash straight away. They had, obviously, a lot of, um, a lot of they're very worth, big worth on, in their um, squad and the facilities they've got, but they don't have liquidity, so they cannot really change the squad that easily. So they're going to be in trouble. Uh, plus, uh, I don't know if you heard, but yesterday six directors resigned. Uh, the president is on his own, and there is a push to do new elections a year earlier. This is one uh, when we can go back to the games. Yeah. So all in all, it seems a little bit of a mess. Uh, meanwhile, it's a squad that looks tired, that doesn't have the energy that's required to win things, the big things. And Real Madrid, on the other hand, they they prepared. They 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 are in a little bit of an impasse. You still got, you know, Casemiro, Modric, Cross, yeah. but they're ready to bring the likes of uh, uh, Hakimi, the right the right back who can play left back as well, all the guards as well. They they've got young players out there who are being tested, mm. and that will definitely help them. And do you think that um, if the league does continue, who do you think is going to win it, and do you think it will continue? Well, I, I think the the need from clubs is for the league to continue and mm. finish. Uh, they they their television money is huge, uh, mm. more for the other clubs than not Barcelona Madrid, but still they need that money, and they've been paid until the end of May, and but there's still another twenty five percent that has to be paid, and the uh, television right holders they're not uh, saying at all that they will pay no matter what. They want to see the games and somehow um, broadcast them if possible daily so you can, in a month and a half, have it all played. There's a protocol that La Liga has prepared for that to happen, but uh, I just feel that everybody's very optimistic. Uh, the, I understand the need to uh, prioritize uh, this league mm. and having to finish it. Uh, something, by the way, because we're United, we, we haven't been allowed. Our leagues are null and void, so it never mm. existed. So. I had to delete all the memories from it. You go like that, press at bottom, all, everything is deleted. The goal trees, null and void. Um, anyway, that's another matter. But, but yeah, uh, Barcelona, Madrid, La Liga, the Federation want it to continue. Uh, but they are preparing a case in which it's not a uh, uh, start over next season. If that's the case, nobody has said, nobody has indicated what would happen, as in who will win the league or who will go to Europe, uh, will there be relegations? They've been more specific in Italy, where they're talking about four scenarios, than in Spain in that case. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait. But the, the push from everybody is for, for the leagues to finish. And they think that uh, they can go back to playing at the end of May, beginning of um, June, or you know even end of June. Whenever it is, they want to finish. Yeah. And what about the Champions League then, uh, PM? Do you think that will continue or? Quite clearly, the uh, UEFA has prioritized the domestic leagues and that's been a good thing to do because it may not be space for everything. So that's the one that looks the most unlikely. Again, 
the kind of a scenario that La Liga is preparing is one in which perhaps everybody gets together in 11 different hotels and then they go from training to the hotels, from the hotels to the games, behind closed doors. That's the certain thing. There won't be fans if the season is to be continued. And, and that would more or less be completed, as I say, in a month and a half. Uh, perhaps UEFA will go for the same kind of a scenario of doing a, going to Istanbul for a week or something and, and play it all day in one, in one, in one go. Mm. Nobody's committing to anything, but it is not the priority. That's interesting. So uh, it is more likely that the uh, UEFA competitions get cancelled than the domestic ones right now. Yeah. Okay, I'm just looking at the, the Liga, te- like the top teams, and if there was like a three-year plan, it seems like Bar- uh, it seems like Barcelona have like sort of invested heavily in some players and it hasn't really worked out. Uh, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid seem like they've like almost planned for the future. Um, it's like with Messi being at Barcelona, and I, I think he's like one Champions League point Ronaldo. Like, what sort of way do you see his sort of career going? Because there's obviously talk about him leaving, there's talk about him staying, and like you'd be the man that people like would know the most. Messi doesn't want to leave, uh, but Messi would like Barcelona to have a very competitive team, which at the moment it's doubtful. Uh, say they invested <laughs> in players and haven't got it right, and that's absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, the clear case is Coutinho. Uh, you know, Arthur Melo, the young, they you know they can they can definitely improve the side. Yeah, uh, they need a striker. They would like they would the idea that would be if they had the money to get Lautaro Martinez and Neymar, uh, if they could, but they won't be able to do uh, both of them. Possibly not even one, unless there is a clear swap of players, and that's more likely to happen with Inter than with PSG. Mm. Yeah, so. Meanwhile, they, they had put all the eggs in the basket of Neymar to renew the, the, the squad to the level that they need. That's they, what they thought they would do. But remember, as I said earlier, it may be elections. If there are, anything can happen. The board is really, um, it's been criticized from all levels and from all quarters. Uh, there is one uh, candidate that will invite Xavi Hernandez to be the manager. If he does that, the idea is to like have Bayern Munich and bring some of the old players to be part of the uh, setup. But right now, it's impossible to to predict. In any case, Messi wants to be part of uh, of of whatever happens, especially if it's positive and and makes yeah. Barcelona candidates to win things. Do you, do you think it's it's going to turn around, or he has enough time for that to happen? Because it seems like Liverpool are getting better and better. Like Man City, once they have a full team back, and the Pep stays, they're going to be good, like competing as well. It's not going to be easy. Yeah. Uh, but without having a fantastic team, they managed to get to semi-finals of the Champions League last season, for instance, and uh, beating Liverpool 3-0. And I know it wasn't fair at all. Liverpool were, were very good in both games. But, you know, Dembélé scores the fourth goal, and then we're talking yeah, about a different stories. So... Yeah. Football, football is, is fun, especially in knockout competitions. I think we give too much importance to the Champions League to try to get big conclusions. It's a knockout competition. It depends on what happens, on your injuries, on the referees, and so many things. Hence, City, perhaps the best team of the last two years, except this season, so the two years before that, were the best team in Europe. And they haven't been getting to semifinals, which was one of the targets. How do you explain that? Well, uh, football, is, football is funny that way. But to give yourself more chances to win, 
you have to have things or do things better than Barcelona have been doing in recent times. Yeah. What way do you see Messi's sort of career changing over the next few years? Because obviously he's going to get a bit slower. Do you think, like, where do you think he's going to try and end up? Like, because don't you know the way certain players have changed positions to adapt to their age, like someone like Ryan Giggs? He's, he's done that already. I remember in the uh, book I did uh, with, uh, with him and his family, the, the, the biography, we were talking in 2012 already about him changing from more of a midfielder, which he's doing now. He's doing the role of, of Xavi, distributing the ball, Iniesta beating defenders in the difficult parts of midfield, the messy bit, sometimes when Luis Suarez is not there, the Luis Suarez bit, and he can do all that because he can. But obviously, uh, he's getting on. So yeah. I, I've always put uh, Qatar as a, as a turning point of his career. Uh, he, will be, he will be 35. And that means, you know, perhaps a good sending off as well to do it in a, in a World Cup. We will see. Uh, I know that when he wanted Neymar to come in, the message that Neymar got was come over because in a couple of years there'll be no Messi. This was like, and then you will be able to t- take charge of the team. Uh, he wanted to come, didn't happen. I don't think Barcelona did enough for it to happen. But he still will try uh, with the same idea, uh, you know, to share couple of years with Messi and then and then we'll see if Messi feels up, up for it otherwise he'll be interesting. Do you think uh, Ronaldo leaving La Liga as well has sort of has impacted Messi in any sort of way because remember like they were always scoring trying to beat each other do you think not having that constant rivalry is maybe he's maybe not as effect not as going for it as much? If you have that impression obviously you haven't had a look at the stats because he's still scoring the same goals He's still doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, he is now having to do more because the team is poorer. Uh, so, no, nah, he never never needed Cristiano to, to get to the heights that he's reached. I'm sure he has helped to continue with those heights uh, because, you know, when you have a nemesis in your life, you, 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 you aim to do the best all the time. It keeps you, you know, that, that he said it himself, mostly that he misses Cristiano. He would have done it without Cristiano anyway, I think, a lot most of the things that he's done. But perhaps that extra bit uh, is, 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 is helped. And uh, Cristiano not being there, which is a law of life. He happens. He hasn't got the age for it. And even though he probably, well, Juventus are, are seeing if uh, they can survive with him in there. Uh, but they have put him in the market, so he could leave. Uh, Ramadid reacted to that very quickly, saying it's not the kind of signing we will go for. So that's opportunity missed uh, I don't know if he'll want to go back to Manchester United or not that'll be interesting but certainly they don't Juventus want to save um, a little bit the money that they put in into Cristiano every year uh, doesn't mean that it will happen because the transfer window right now means that swaps is what they're aiming for people don't want to spend money on anything and uh, but it's interesting that, that Juventus feels that financially uh, it's, it's almost like a burden to have Cristiano in the side yeah, and one thing that's been rumoured quite a lot recently is a swap with Barcelona between Neymar and Griezmann. Do you think that's a possibility? Because Griezmann hasn't exactly hit the ground running and he is French. And then obviously Barcelona have a strong desire to get Neymar back. Well, as I'm saying, uh, in terms of transfers, transfer stories, there's not much happening. So mm. it's, it's a little bit boring to talk about something that's not happening. But okay. uh, in any case... Uh, that's what Barcelona would like. They would like to offer Griezmann and then save 70, 80 million or 90 million euros in the pursuit of, um, of Neymar. But just 
these kind of swaps that will happen that will happen um, between clubs that uh, that they have a good relationship and PSG and Barcelona don't have a good relationship. <laughs> well, they did they did pay the uh, bio clause. What 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 was that like in Spain when? PSG actually went above and beyond and paid the bio clause because normally Spanish clubs are renowned for having, you know, ridiculous bio clauses that clubs would never pay. When that happened, did that change Spanish football forever? Change well football because all of a sudden there was more money in the uh, in the market and then crazy transfers started to 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 happen. Uh, it was it was disappointing from the point of view of. Uh, of, of you know news gatherer if you like mm. newspapers and so on because of course missing on on Neymar was big but also because you know all the relationships that you have built around Messi uh, sorry around Neymar uh, <laughs> including Neymar himself to his teammates and to the club so it was difficult difficult for the story to be followed uh, exactly uh, later on I, I I heard Valverde told me how he found out about it. He was in the first training session in the United States, and uh, Messi was running, like they were doing the, the that, that kind of running at the beginning to warm up. And uh, Messi approached Valverde and said, "The Brazilian is leaving," and then run away. I was like, "What?" <laughs> and uh, Valverde has, had just arrived to Barcelona, so it was his first training session. He had to deal with that, and he was completely out of the loop because it wasn't his business. Coaches in Barcelona they don't have much influence. So he just had to wait until it all happened eventually. Uh, and he had to react to it, and he did very well. Uh, that season, Barcelona won the league and the cup. did very well. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, not having Neymar has meant that Barcelona has been looking for a Neymar. And then Coutinho came in, and it didn't work out. The Belé came in, and it didn't work out. So uh, they haven't been very lucky with that. Okay. Also, again, uh, just talking about the Spanish national team. Uh, obviously, the Euros might happen this year. They're being pushed back next year. Uh, like obviously being from Spain, haven't been there for the Euro win, the World Cup win, then the Euro win again. And some of the some of the guys that are part of that team are like really just about to. Well, this would be the last competition. Some like Sergio Ramos, for instance. Is there certain players in the Spanish team now that like you you think are really really going to push on that team and possibly help them win the Euros next year? I don't think so. I don't think we've got a we've got a team to to win it. And I know that. You know, Germany could say the same, but they feel quite confident. France have won it in their own way. England, yeah. for me, are favourites. But uh, no, I don't think Spain have got what it takes. Uh, and what it takes is a very solid defence where you can hardly concede a goalkeeper that saves you, you know, does the miracle saves. Quality goalkeepers, but both of them have been struggling. They're number one and number two in, in De Gea and Kepa. Who would and, you prefer uh, there? Sorry. Who would be your number one? Both of them have got a problem, uh, or have had a problem, which is that the teams don't play like Spain play. But out of the two, the one that plays closer to uh, Spain is, is Chelsea. So you've got you need a goalkeeper that um, that thinks that way, that thinks proactive, that can pass the ball. I know both of them can do it, but I know also that De Gea has had to develop all the parts of his game because passing wasn't one that uh, Manchester United were that interested in, uh, and still are not. Yeah. So I'll put. Kepa ahead of, of the hair, but they both, you know, still a, a year and a half to go. But uh, they, still, they, they struggle at the moment. We don't have clear goal scorers, so, so you know the Villas and the Torres. They're not there. What a partnership! Got good strikers, but but they don't they don't score regularly. Uh, and the style is is mixed with all the new things, more counter attack, etc. But uh, I just feel that 
uh, yeah, it's not a it's not a strong team. I mean, we yes, we we did win three tournaments in a row, and that was amazing. But the yeah. following three, we've been failing miserably. So now we are in the miserably miserably miserable phase right now. Yeah, well, being Irish fans, uh, welcome to the party. But uh, like obviously, <laughs> obviously, have Thiago run the str- uh, pull the strings midfield, and then uh, you still have PK and Ramos at the back, like which is like a like no PK is gone. Oh, PK is gone, gone now. Yeah. Oh, okay, it's only Sergio Ramos from that era. It's only Sergio Ramos. Oh, okay, um, what like what well, maybe, maybe Cazorla as well, see if he eventually gets oh, picked. Yeah, but, uh, what other so what other players in the Spain squad are, should people be definitely looking out for? Maybe some up and coming players that uh, like we haven't seen yet. Well, you might only seen them all, but uh, but obviously there's a lot of hope put on um, on Ansu Fati. Uh, yeah. He must be 17 now, and you can you can use him. You can use him. Uh, you can use him to be one of the three strikers in the 4-3-3 formation that they, they Spain favours. Um, is the kind of I'm doing a, a book on Maradona, and he missed on the 78 World Cup, and obviously. In hindsight, you think, oh, how could you miss in Maradona? And there's not much point in that debate, uh, even though straight away, just after the World Cup, he already became a big figure, uh, an international figure even, when, when he was still was in Argentina. Yeah. But, um, but it, it wasn't his time. It would have been good, though, I feel, to have him part of, of, of the 78 squad, just, just to see, you know, to learn. And I think Ansu Fati should be part of the, of, the World, of the European Championships. Yeah, the same way the uh, World Cup was in the England squad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, got a story on that one. Uh, so I met Ericsson privately and uh, in the federation offices, and we were doing an interview, and uh, he spent like ten minutes talking about this player, and I didn't catch the name, so I uh, didn't use it in the interview at all, and of it anyway was off off the record, and. Uh, and I published the interview and the press officer at the FA said, why did you talk about the biggest news that he told you? What did he tell me? That Walcott was in the squad. But he's only 17 or whatever it was at the time, or 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was in love with him. So, um, so you know, sometimes the lesson there is just to listen to everything. And if you don't hear it well, just ask again, who did you, what did you say? Who are you talking about? Nah. Which I didn't do. Uh, you, you said Fadi is one person. Uh, is, there, is there any other players? Well, at that level, I'll struggle to find somebody, somebody else because a lot of the players that, uh, that are going to come to the, to the reckoning, they, they, will, they, they have been around for a while. You know, Gerard Moreno, maybe one. Morata, maybe another one. In midfield, you mentioned Thiago, but... Uh, Saul Nagaze. Say again? Saul Nagaze. Who's that? Saul. Oh, Saul. Saul. Saul Nagaze, yeah. Uh, Saul, who I like very much, and, mm. uh, and he can play in, in different uh, positions. Koke, of course. You know the names. The names have been there. Is the ones that. Uh, but in, in terms of who could just, you know, come into the scene, and Ferran Torres is the other one, maybe at Valencia, the uh, the right winger. Uh, Ferran Torres and Ansu Fati will be uh, will be very brave to play both of them, but it will be good to have them in in the squad. And you see much of Ferran, but uh, Ferran is is not a typical winger, uh, but he can be. Uh, he's fast, uh, puts a very cross in, gets into the box, scores. Uh, but but let's say I want to renew his contract. They haven't been able to convince him yet, so let's see what happens with that. But uh, the two young stars of uh, of Spain. Yeah. Um, just another question on the Spanish team. Uh, obviously, when when Barcelona were taking on Real Madrid, like when like Mourinho was in charge and Pep, like there was obviously massive friction. 
Was there? Did that also lead into the the senior team, uh, the national team as well? Uh, not really, because uh, that was in the middle of all the winning uh, era. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Pep Guardiola started in two thousand and eight with Barcelona, and Mourinho arrived in two thousand and nine ten, if I'm not mistaken, or ten eleven. Okay. So uh, that was still in the middle of that process because we won the Euros 2012. And I know that uh, Mourinho did his utmost to create division in the squad um, and was upset that uh, Iker Casillas was still friendly with Xavi, even though one of the um, one of the tools that Mourinho was using at the time, as has always used, is, is to, to create um, uh, an atmosphere in which you know, it's you against the world, basically. And at the time, he painted a picture of Barcelona that were favoured by the authorities, that, that, you know, they cheated and blah, blah, blah. So if you create that atmosphere, you, you players should buy it because if they don't, then it collapses. Well, the players of Real Madrid didn't really fully buy it. Uh, for a while, they did until they woke up and it was like, but they, they're our mates. They, you know, Casillas and, and Xavi know each other since they were 15. So... They spoke, they said, look, enough of the uh, accusations behind the scenes. Players agreed to that. And Mourinho was very upset because he wanted more of that division. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he came to Spain to divide the country. And uh, for a while, he succeeded. Yeah, because yeah, I always thought it was very funny when uh, PK and Ramos lined up side by side. Because, you know what I mean, like, whenever El Clasico was on, they were at each other's throats. And they're not particularly good friends. I mean, they're not like fantastic friends. They wouldn't go out mm-hmm. on holidays together or dinner or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they, they realized that they had to, because they, they represent two different ways of being, mm-hmm. two different ways of being Spanish, two different ways of, of playing even. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, they, they found a common ground and they, mm-hmm. they stood in that common ground and didn't often leave it uh, because otherwise it would have been difficult for them to, to create some kind of connection. I suppose one thing about Spain at the moment is that, you know, back in that era, I'd say Barcelona and Real Madrid made up about 80% of the team. And now it's probably close to about 50% of the team. So, like, the players who are playing for Spain now sort of come from all over Spain as opposed to just those two teams. Yeah, but that's partly because the uh, the other teams have managed to sort out finances so they can offer mm-hmm. good contracts. And Real Madrid and Barcelona, you know, how many players can they have happy? Uh, 13, 14 maybe? And a lot of them are uh, the best around, foreigners. So yeah. others have gone for for the Spanish and they're paying well. So Villarreal, for instance, in the last two or three games, they they had a, an 11 of Spanish players. And some of them, like Pau Torres, the centre-back, should be in the national team. Cazorla as well, of course. Uh, Gerard Moreno. So they're happy to be in those kinds of clubs. Uh, you can say the same of... You know, of 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 Valencia, or Sevilla, they're keeping some some Spanish players there as well. That uh, that generally, in other times, it would have been Barcelona or, or Madrid. So the distribution of wealth means that the distribution of talent uh, is also taking part. Yeah, yeah. And just before we wrap things up, uh, I can't let you go without asking this: Who would be the top? Like you've interviewed so many like world class players. Who would be like the top five players you've ever interviewed? Top five players. Uh, can it be managers as well or players? Well, if they were former players. Former players only. Okay. Uh, interviewing Messi is always difficult. It's always a challenge. And having eight commercial events with him meant that even having a relationship still is difficult. So as a challenge, this is one of the hardest. 
but the last thing I did with him was talk to him about Ronaldinho for the Ronaldinho movie that Ronaldinho is doing about himself. Yeah. Uh, which will have a really interesting in the prison chapter, of course. Yeah. Um, the so and he was he was so good. I've seen him evolve from being very shy to to mm. you know to to being very descriptive and emotional if necessary and when when he feels uh, that the subject deserves it so all in all it's uh, it's, it's as a challenge the biggest um, Iniesta I love talking to him and he's always been very good to me always I think that's one beginning. of my favourite players like Iniesta just unbelievable yeah but keep an eye on uh, the Talking Football show on La Liga TV because we've done a, a special with him and it was just him and I in a sofa talking okay. uh, with no script no uh, and it was I, I really enjoyed it. David Villa, he is brilliant. He's such a gentleman. He always tells you stories. Um, feels like, I feel, I consider him one of my friends and, uh, and I think he's vice versa. But he, either way, uh, he treats you like one. Uh, he's very respectful of, of the profession. And we were always actually, we were actually, Sorry for interrupting. We were actually at his last ever game for uh, New York. You were, yeah? yeah. What, how did he do? <laughs> Did he... yeah, well, New York won, but I think they <laughs> lost. They were it was like um, a second leg. I think they lost overall, but he he, uh, he scored. He scored. Yeah, it was in the Yankee Stadium. It was cool. Yeah, he's never stopped. He's never stopped scoring. Oh, what no. a player! What a player! Like, oh, what a player! Yeah, so you have um, Messi, Iniesta, Davia. Yeah, right? I, I think in England, uh, Frank Lampard counts as a player. I imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He was always good and always when we had ideas that were a little bit different when I was working in the Times for instance with uh, Gabriel Makotti we did um, this thing that's become more more common in recent time putting two people together different backgrounds and see how the conversation went we got Gianluca Vialli and him and we went for lunch had a really good relationship with his former wife Spanish she's Spanish um, out a few times and uh, you know told him things that I haven't told anybody so he's, he's a friend but also always gave you really good value and the uh, and the fifth one i enjoyed talking to lewandowski uh, robert lewandowski he, um, he decided to do um uh an, for the bbc for a podcast for the bbc at uh, the art of scoring so he yeah. went into detail into what it means to to score and you know what's conscious and what's unconscious and and you know the feelings after after a mistake, and you know his own career had his own up and downs. There's always a lesson to hear from those guys uh, that you know they've gone through a lot of obstacles. So that's uh, today. That's my top five. Well, that, that's a great five side team. But yeah, we'll let you pick one manager to manage that side game, and you can't pick yourself now. Oh, managers! That's my favorite subject. I love talking to managers, and uh, there's so many. Uh, Rafa Benitez. Valverde, you know, Paco Yestaran doesn't have to be very famous, but Kike Sanchez Flores. I spoke to Robert Moreno this morning, uh, Stevie G, there's so many club. But I guess one that I owe him a lot and, and he's always been very, very good to me is, is Pep Guardiola. Uh, I, I've learned a lot through, through working with him uh, in the book. It was, you know, it was um, after doing the, the Liverpool book, as he's on the brink. With Orion, the publishers, we were looking for another book to do. It took about five, six years to decide, and it was just to Pep. And I went to him and I said, I, I don't want to do a book that's. Uh, that this was the last year of what he was at Barcelona, 11 12, when Mourinho won the league for Madrid. And it was, I don't know if you remember, there was so much tension. 
Mm. The players didn't talk to the media. Uh, I wasn't doing individual interviews. Uh, the club was like closed, um, closed down. And I said, I don't want to do it through newspapers. I want to talk to you and everybody. I said, yeah, okay, let's do it. And, uh, and that was great. Uh, and I remember telling him the first episode that we, uh, well, the chapter that I do is uh, psychological. I don't know if you can hear, but there's this car. Yeah. Can you hear oh, it? No, no, we can no. hear it. No. Can All hear right, it. okay. There's a car that the arm goes off about this time for about five minutes, and then that's it. That's well, he's never been wrong. Anyway. No, no, but, you know, <laughs> if he was, I wouldn't miss it. Um, so anyway, that I, I said, would you look at it? Because, because he didn't want to look at, the, at what I was doing. And he said, no, when the book is, uh, is finished, I'll go to the bookstore and buy it. So that freedom gives you a lot of responsibility. Uh, but obviously, you know, it's how I want to work. And he was, you know, he spoke to me for the Messi book. And he said, I'll never ever speak about Messi in so much depth because he hurts. And every time there's a big project, I, I did, when I first came into the BBC, we did this uh, radio show, podcast about music and him. And, uh, and I thought, you know, he was very, very honest. And he's always, he's always been good. So, yeah, that would be my favorite. That's a good choice. That's a good choice. Uh, and I forgot on Pochettino, who we did a book together. But uh, uh, oh, yeah, oh, no. now that I'm so, just before we finish up, I have to ask about Pochettino. Uh, where do you think he'll he'll land next? And can he manage Barcelona? I know he's always said he can't do it because he uh, played for Espanyol. But can he manage Barcelona? And where will he end up next? Pochettino, I have to say, is probably the closest person I've been with in football, uh, mm. managers wise, and. Uh, and sometimes it's so close that you don't see it. Uh, mm. You know, it wasn't a, an automatic choice for a book until somebody pointed out, and we're like, "Of course." And uh, and again, he he's always been very generous. So I have to choose Pep Guardiola, Pochettino. Just going back to the last one. And in terms of doing Barcelona, uh, he was offered Barcelona, and he said no. So uh, he was offered Barcelona just before Valverde was sacked, and he said no. So that's your answer. Uh, and. In the what next for him, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, it looks quite clearly that in the market, players, not many players will move. There won't be big mm. transfers. And at player level, and managers will be the same. All the big clubs have got, uh, are going to keep the managers. Uh, with Flick staying at Bayern Munich, it means that Tuchel won't leave PSG. So I think he's going to have to wait at the moment. But yeah. That's brilliant. Kim, okay. uh, I want to thank you very much for giving us your time uh, and interrupting your, uh, your sunbathing. But uh, <laughs> we're going to have to get you on again, like maybe before the Euros or something, something cool. I'm sure we'll stay in touch. But uh, thanks a million for coming on the show. Ross, anything else before we close off? No, just for everyone watching at home, make sure to like, share, subscribe. And as always, stay energized.